Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. A new series. And it's, uh, I mean, let's be honest, life is like a strange mix these, these days, right? In one respect, uh, if, particularly for those with kids, which... Uh, for all of us, but in, in one respect, we are sort of forced on top of one another uh, in a way where there's like zero kind of interruption, right? You, in, in terms of like, uh, it's a constant uninterrupted company uh, for some in our community, right? They're, they're trying to juggle like a Zoom meeting with a two-year-old all, all at the same time. And, and uh, in a moment when so much of life is disconnected, they're feeling uh, sort of overly connected. Uh, but, but for some of us, I think sort of the irony is that in the midst of that, uh, we're also kind of really distanced. We are like socially distanced, physically, uh, politically, ethnically. There's, there's all sorts of, of, of separation uh, in our world at this moment. And I think, I think that into that space, into that feeling, whether it's individual or, or more, more broadly, I think Ephesians, my hope and prayers over these next few weeks, will find that it has something to say, uh, particularly to that space. And what I think we'll find is that it's, a, it's a, an offer, an extension, uh, the promise of life. Uh, that there is in this book the promise of life, but also the hope that that life can be lived uh, together. Hence, life together for us for the next few weeks. We're going to do something we haven't we haven't we don't typically do. I failed to mention this on Zoom, but uh, uh, that's also something we don't typically do. But I like it. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Um, I have a picture here uh, of what our life together has looked like uh, at, at the moment. Uh, the, our family, I have twin daughters who are eight. We were talking about Halloween. What's Halloween going to look like this year? And the answer was, well, really different from previous years. And here's maybe an indication. These are lawn and leaf bags. And uh, we, we might try to do more. I don't know. I don't know what she saw in her they're roasting marshmallows here uh, with, with lawn and leaf bags. So you can't see the marshmallow sticks. But, uh, but this is a bit of what our life together looked like yesterday and, and, and recently. And uh, I thought as a church, just as a way to help us stay connected to one another, if, if we would encourage you uh, to share a bit of your life with us, uh, I'm told that there's a thing called a hashtag and uh, that uh, hashtag life together PCC for Park City Church, right? I think, I think, is that clear? Hashtag life together PCC. If you just want to give us an indication of what your life together looks like. Maybe it's just you and friends. Maybe it's a socially distanced dinner, right? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's you with a computer working. Just over the next couple of weeks, uh, we just want to provide an an outlet for connection for those of us who are here in the building, but also for others who maybe aren't able to connect uh, in in that way. So we'd invite you really uh, to maybe uh, step into that space with us again. I I can't promise my children that Halloween will look any better than that for them this year, but uh, here's what here's what I want to suggest as we kind of step out of that space, that promise of life, particularly life lived together, uh, that we find in Ephesians. We're going to step into Ephesians, and uh, as biblical books go, this letter in the New Testament, it's a glorious book, right? It is, uh, it is dense and rich theologically. Scholars and preachers throughout the history of the church early in the history of the church have picked up this letter for its uh, splendor. I mean, it's just beautiful. The language at times glorious, but it's truths, uh, again, just foundational uh, in the life 
of, of the church. Um, uh, John Calvin, a great reformer from uh, in Geneva, began preaching in 1558. He, he began a series of sermons on Ephesians, and his series was 48 sermons long. So by my calculation, once a week, we'll be wrapping up about this time right next, next year. Buckle up. I'll give you the Snickers because, what, you're not going anywhere for a long time? I don't know. Uh, needless to say, right, needless to say, we're not going to say everything there is to say uh, about Ephesians or the truths that it gives us. We're going to take about six weeks and each week look at a different section from each chapter that, we, that, that, that my hope is, as we kind of walk through it in this way, will um, bring to the surface again some of those foundational uh, biblical truths about what it means to have life to find the life that is extended to us in the gospel and then to live that life uh, together. So that, that's a bit about where we're headed and how we're headed there. Uh, just a couple of sort of reference points maybe to help us frame the conversation um, this morning. I do think it's helpful. If, I would encourage you to read it with us. Again, it's a letter and just six chapters, but uh, this is typical of Paul and maybe maybe this is familiar to some of you, but again, just as you're sitting with the content, just know that as a general structure, this is how he sort of steps into presenting the gospel to us. The first three chapters are often uh, kind of foundationally true. This is the story of the gospel. It's it's theological. It's God's work. We might call it again, we, we might call it, this is God's story, the story of the gospel. And Paul will just rhapsodize beautifully on, 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 on that enormously beautiful story and truth. And that'll be the first few chapters, but then he'll take a turn as he often does in his letters, reflect on what God has done. Then he'll turn and in Ephesians, it'll be like four or five and six. He'll turn and kind of tease out uh, the implications of that story in, in our stories. Right? So it'll be the, he'll lay the groundwork that life is found in the gospel, the story of God and his work in the world. And then he'll t- make a turn and he'll tease out, well, well, well these are the implications of that story uh, in, in our stories, particularly our stories as lived uh, together in, in, in community. And so that, that is going to be like a general framework. So obviously we're going to reflect a bit of that. We'll be front end uh, heavy on the truth of what God has done. And then towards the end of the series, he's going to get really practical. I mean, really nitty gritty. He'll talk about things like marriage right? And kids, uh, just the, the practical sort of nuts and bolts space of life together. But then there's one other kind of introductory sort of framework I, I want to invite you to consider. And we didn't read it, but he begins this letter with an introduction. You know, Paul uh, introduces himself and then he addresses uh, his letter to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, right? And I, I just think that's a helpful phrase for us to consider, particularly with our reading this morning, to the saints in Ephesus, one location, also the faithful in Christ. So he, he kind of carves out a reality that is still the lived experience of anyone who tries to follow Christ, uh, who lives their life in light of the gospel today, that we live in Christ, yes, but we also live in Ephesus, so Ephesus for Paul, again, Ephesus, uh, the context of his letter, I mean, this was a, a cosmopolitan capital of the Roman Empire in, in Asia Minor. I mean, this was a, a hub, a port city, economically prosperous, uh, but also the site of, of the center of worship of Artemis, uh, if, you're, if you enjoy a bit of mythology. Uh, her temple, in fact, one of the seven wonders of the world uh, here in, in Ephesus, all this kind of shaping uh, the backdrop of, of this letter. In fact, if you read Acts in the New Testament, 
You'll read the story of Paul kind of traveling to these different cities. Uh, you, you read about his experience in Ephesus, that his, uh, he, he didn't get a good response, uh, or rather he got a good response, but that it, in Ephesus, uh, such a response that it troubled a bit of the economy there, Spe- specifically silversmiths whose uh, economic livelihood was dependent on, on building and selling kind of models of the temple of Artemis. And his work was jeopardizing the security of that kind of business. And they were, they were trying to like, uh, muster up, uh, a reaction to him to kind of drive him out of town. But, but I think what, again, without sort of getting lost in, or maybe you've, you, maybe we're already lost in historical detail, but I think the point for us is that, uh, as Paul is presenting us the gospel, he's speaking into a reality that is true for you and me as well. That we live in Christ and all that we'll see God has worked for us, but we have to live that experience in Ephesus. That we are still, whatever your life is like now, with all of its systems and structures and priorities, all the things our culture and world wants to celebrate and say are vital and fundamental to life, all, all of those things, we, we kind of live currently with a foot in each of those worlds, so to speak. Uh, and and Paul, Paul then was going to move into what we read this morning. So what does it mean? What does it look like? How do you live into that space in, in a way that is full of, of life? How, how do you, how, how do we navigate that? How do we, uh, how do we walk into that area? And uh, I think our reading this morning uh, helps us do that by just pulling us back to what is foundational. That if we're ever going to kind of walk through life in this way, Paul says, you're going to have to live anchored here. And uh, at the risk, so this passage we read, it's just one long run-on sentence, right? I mean, Paul hits the ground running, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then it's relative clause, relative clause, relative clause, right? A little grammar lesson, we could diagram the sentence structure here, but it's just one long run-on sentence, just almost like water sort of like spilling over the rocks in in a stream, you might say, just sort of bubbling forth. And at the risk... Uh, at the risk of uh, doing a disservice to that sort of poetic, exuberant expression, I'm going to ask you to c- consider some parts of speech with me, and I can feel your eyes like glossing over. Uh, uh, yesterday, randomly, one of my children said, Daddy, what's your favorite noun? Right? Anyone? I can honestly say, uh, I could count on one hand the number of times I've been asked that question, never in my life. What's your favorite noun? So I, I won't ask you to sort of nail that down, but I do think uh, to frame our conversation this morning, I want to ask you to maybe think about some uh, some aspects of, of grammar this morning. And the first one is this, that, that Paul, right from the get-go, I just want you to consider who, uh, who is the subject of all of the primary action in our reading? Right? Who's, who's the subject uh, of, of all the verbs that kind of do the heavy lifting in, in our reading this morning? The subject is found right at the beginning. The God, blessed he says, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? Right? That all, all of the initiating activity, the subject of all of the verbs, again, that do, the, that do all the legwork here, the subject is, is God. I, I just, maybe if we could like help you see it, right? This, these, this is, this is, uh, these are the verbs, right? This is what God has done. He has blessed. He has chosen. He has predestined. He has blessed. He has lavished. He has set forth. And again, the, 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 the verbs that move this passage forward and offer hope and promise, the subject of all of that action, is God. That, that, that where Paul starts 
and where we always, always are prompted to remember and never to leave is the truth that life is from God. It's from God. He's the initiator, the starter. Uh, life is life is from God. He is the one who has blessed and chosen and predestined and lavished and set forth and made known. God, God is the one who initiates this action. And here's what I know is true, right? As, even as we just look at these highlighted words, there are some deeply theological, uh, deep, deeply theological and mysterious truths here. When we start talking about God choosing and, and knowing and pre, pre, uh, predestining, right? Um, that the, the, this is a space ripe for kind of conversation. Pages have been written to explain it, to try and understand it. But rather than sort of step into all of that this morning, I just want to ask us to consider, well, what is the truth that he is aiming at? What are we supposed to take away from this truth? And I think clearly, without any sort of vagueness, Paul is making clear to us that the work of life is a gift from God, not something we do or work up, not something we are responsible for. It is God's activity, his work. And and out of that truth, this passage, I think, invites us into rest, peace, security, an assurance, uh, particularly at a moment when so much of life is uncertain. Uh, Paul is drawing readers. If you're going to live kind of in this space of life in Ephesus and, and life in Christ, that we, we start here that life is from God. Maybe you've seen, uh, maybe you've seen the uh, Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma. Has anyone already watched that? The Social Dilemma. So I, I have, I've watched bits of it. It's on kind of on my like list of things to consume. Um, but I was reading actually an, an article kind of engaging with it, but it's a, it's a documentary on Netflix where, uh, creators of some of the sort of social media platforms and others are, are writing about, uh, sort of their experience of that experience. And they're kind of getting into the AI behind it and some of the challenges and, uh, concerns that they have. And, uh, Again, my understanding of it is, is just kind of peeling back the surface of kind of how we think about Facebook or Twitter, all, all these spaces. But one of the things that they bring up is the, the 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 work of the algorithm, right? And maybe you've heard chat about it, right? That all these just kind of this system or, or these formulas that are guiding our behavior online, shaping what we read, when we read it, based on where we are and, and what we click and based on what others click in our community, because we're in that community, it shapes sort of what comes up when we click and but but uh, I was just reading some engagement around this conversation, and the author made the observation that really algorithms are 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 they're seeking to know us, not just know us, right? But like know us in a way that they can predict and, and even shape kind of uh, who, who will become because of how well they know us now. In fact, uh, again, that that it's kind of like this machine algorithms, right? That that kind of knowing us, uh, but but then the, the author said, you know, in a way that kind of demands that we sort of follow uh, its whims, right? We're being known in a way that kind of requires us or in a way we don't even realize kind of shapes how we move forward. But this particular author drew up the, the contrast between the way in which God like knows us. We read it here that he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world. That wrapped up in this truth that life is from God is that in ways we don't understand, God saw you in this moment. He, he knows you. But where an algorithm, right, seeks to know us so that it can exploit us or shape our behavior, uh, get us to click on the next kind of thing, uh, get us to kind of take another scroll or make another tap, that God simply knows us because he created us for the joy of of knowing us. In our reading here in, in verse four, right before verse five, it says, in love, he predestined. In, in love, that God n- knows us is an expression for Paul and for us of, of life, of hope. That life is from God. That he knows us and has known you now in this moment from the foundations of the world. And therein, Paul says, lies hope and assurance and security for you. Not a knowing in a way that seeks to exploit or take advantage, but simply for the joy of knowing and loving you. God has known you. Life is from God. But uh, Paul doesn't stop there. And I'd like to ask you to consider another preposition, uh, another part of speech here, specifically a prepositional phrase, right? We're we're going uh, way back. Uh, My my wife knows a preposition song. Maybe you learned one in school. You should ask her about it. She'll appreciate that I gave you that prompt. Um, But uh, yeah, I tried to talk her into performing for you, but she wouldn't do that, so... Uh, but there's another phrase here. Uh, actually, you can see it here, right? The, Paul says life is from God. Yes, but it's in Christ. It's in what Jesus has done. And again, just to help us see it in the reading, again, just like water kind of just bubbling out and over the rocks, you see it here. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. He has chosen us in him. He has blessed us in the beloved Christ. In him, he has given redemption. He has set forth in Christ. He's uniting all things in him. In him, he is, he is giving us life and inheritance. In verse 12, right, that, that we have hope in Christ. In him, we have truth. There is this movement here, Paul says, life is most assuredly from God, but it is it is undeniably uh, in Jesus. It's in Jesus and what he has done. And Paul will unpack more and more of that as the letter continues. He'll reach a climax, actually, in chapter 1. We, didn't, we won't read it this morning, but, but he'll say that God has worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And he'll go on to say that he's put all things under his feet and given him head over all things, even to the church which is his body, and he'll unpack that in the next few weeks. But there's this movement for Paul where we rest in the fact that God has known us. Life is from God, but it's in what Christ has done. Right, the miracle of of what what Jesus Christ has done, what we will celebrate with communion this morning. Life is from God in Christ. But here's here's where I think we often sort of get things sideways. For many of us, we're probably okay with that. Life is from God in Christ. But the, 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 the turn we take next, or maybe the, the, the shift that we make here is that we then think that life is then on, it's on us, if I could use another preposition, right? That we think life is, we think life is on us, even if we're okay with like, that God loves us, he chose us, and he sent Jesus for us, and we're like, great. But then we, we you know, inevitably, Paul will talk about it in other letters, we default back to living like life is on us. Like maybe his choosing has something to do with me or his not choosing has something to do 
with me. I, again, I think it's helpful just to kind of back way up in the story, right from the beginning when God is choosing Israel, his people, to be an expression of his character in the world. Deuteronomy chapter 7, they're wrestling with this, right? They're, they're feeling the pull of life is on us. Listen to what God says to them in Deuteronomy 7. It's not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chosen you for you were the fewest. So it's not some like built-in potential. It's not like, well, you know, this, you got the potential to really be something or something good. None of that. It's, 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 uh, in that sense, it's not on you. He'll go on a few verses later in, in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this uh, because of your righteousness. So it's, it's not because of it's a potential in you. It's not because of any goodness on your own part. However you, you think or feel you may measure up because the truth is Paul is telling us life is not on us. It's not on, it's not on you. I try to think of uh, uh, maybe how to help help us sort of step into this. And I actually uh, came across a, uh, a book, a new book by uh, Anne Helen Peterson. She's written a new book called Can't Even. And uh, I think by way of application may help us here. And uh, actually an excerpt of it has been published in a couple of places, uh, but she's, she's writing about burnout and specifically millennials of which she is one, but I think it has kind of broad application. Again, writing about the, the feeling of burnout, maybe it's at work or in relationships or raising children, she's kind of is stepping into all these spaces. But about work, she said some things that I think were, were interesting that I, I just want to share uh, with you. This is what she says, right? She's kind of writing about her experience. She's a writer, lives her life online, uh, and, and kind of all, all that's required there. Listen to what she says. Here's the reality uh, of the internet-ridden life. And the internet's coming in for some heat this morning. I, I don't mean anything by it, but... This is what she says, all right? I need to be an insanely productive writer and be funny on Slack and post good links on Twitter and keep the house clean and cook a fun and cook a fun new recipe from Pinterest and track my exercise on Map My Run and text my friends to ask questions about their growing children and check in with my mom and grow tomatoes in the backyard and enjoy Montana and Instagram myself enjoying Montana and shower and put on cute clothes for that 30-minute video call with my coworkers and 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 she writes she goes on to say, the internet isn't the root cause of, of burnout, uh, but its promise to, quote, make our lives easier is a profoundly broken one, responsible for the illusion that doing it all isn't just possible, but, but mandatory. And when we fail to do so, she says, we don't blame the broken tools, we blame ourselves, that deep down, we know the primary exacerbator of burnout, it isn't really the email or Instagram, or a constant stream of news alerts is the continuous failure to reach the impossible expectations that we have set for ourselves. And, 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 and. Here's what I'll bet is true. We're going to take communion here in just a moment. But I'll bet that we all have our kind of series of ands. The, 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 the series of things, and is not a preposition, a conjunction, I think, right? But a series of conjunctions in our lives that, that, that we think sort of help us 
or, or move us into the space where we live like life is on us. Some of us, maybe she tapped on it, man. Maybe she tapped right on that nerve where we, we, we find that, that, that drive to perform, to show that we measure up, that, that we are living life, that we have life. Maybe she tapped on that for us, but maybe, maybe they're different for you. Or I wonder sometimes if for some of us, again, I know, you know, we're kind of all over here, but maybe they're absent, right? Maybe you have stepped into a phase or a space of life where a lot of the ands that kind of defined you and gave direction and purpose to your life, that they've just sort of, they've, they've, you've moved on from them. They've gone. And now you're left with like, you, you don't know what. And I think maybe you're arriving, uh, we're arriving there from maybe different places, but I think we arrive at the same place, the crushing weight of trying to measure up, of trying to show or prove or live in such a way that, man, we can show, man, life is on us. Have life. But it's, it's right here that I think the gospel just breathes life. It's where Paul is driving here. Life, life is not on us. It's from God. In Christ, he says. And, and you're, you're lost in this effort. Uh, we often lost in this series of, kind of ands in our lives to show, man, that life is on us, that, that we measure up. And Paul says the gospel truth is that grace meets you right there in a cascading word of a different sort. Paul says, I know you think life is on you, but let me tell you the truth. God is blessed and chosen predestined, blessed, made known, and set forth purposes for you in Christ. God has done it. The work is his, not yours, not mine. He has done it in Christ, and he has done it in love. Here's the truth, right? Here's, here's what I think. Man, we, maybe we know life is from God. It's in Christ. We live like it's for us. Sorry, we live like it's on us, but the truth is that it's for us. Paul is telling us in this passage here that the gospel tells me that life from God in Christ is not on me. It's for, it's for me. And we find it tucked right in the heart of our reading this morning. Verse seven, he says, in him we have, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace that somehow in that work of God's gracious act in Jesus of working his grace and forgiveness in my life Paul will go on to say that that through that it's not just for us but for God's glory that his character his goodness even as we spent reflecting time reflecting on Habakkuk the same sort of question Paul says that through this experience of life from God in Christ given for us his glory, his goodness will be on a greater display in the world. And, and that, I think, is the story of the gospel and what we're going to celebrate in communion. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.